You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for joining us. Your guide for this week's episode is our North American editor, Matt McDermott, who has curated a panel discussion to celebrate Asian and Pacific Islanders Heritage Month, which is happening all this month in the US. With that in mind, we chose to spotlight a small group of Asian and Asian American artists making vital music that feels linked in vastly different ways to Asian identity. You'll be hearing from Yusu, Bezier, Angela Lin and Howie Lee. Here's Matt. Hello, everybody. My name is Matthew McDermott, and I am the North American editor at Resident Advisor. You are currently listening to the RA Exchange podcast, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, promoters, and other figures making the electronic music world tick. This week, we are extremely honored to welcome a wide array of Asian artists, in part to celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month which runs from May 1st through the 31st here in the U.S., but also just because they're amazing artists and we're so happy to showcase them in this format. Um, On the line today, we have a big crew. We have Yusu joining us from Vancouver. We have Howie Lee based in Beijing, but currently in Shanghai. We have Robert Yang, who has a number of different aliases that he's releasing under at this point, including Bezier. Uh, Please excuse my pronunciation here because Chinese school really did not take for me. So I'll just say uh, Laubata and Body Zone, uh, three different amazing aliases, which he's releasing a raft of material under. And we also have Angela Lin. Uh, Angela is based in Los Angeles and works as um, an operations and label representative for Light in the Attic and also runs a label that is described as a love letter to Taiwanese music called Pure Person Press. Uh, just want to thank everybody for joining. Yeah, thank you. It's I know this is going to be a fun conversation because I am always excited to talk to other cool Asian artists and people who are invested in the music scene in the same way as I am, for sure. And Angela is also joining us from Los Angeles. But uh, one curious thing about this conversation, um, and this might seem foreign to some of the other artists uh, that are here right now, but Howie Lee is actually on tour right now. And can you tell us about tour? Uh, I mean, uh, I haven't really started touring, but I have to come to Shanghai to do rehearsal before the touring because one of my artists, uh, he's a visual artist I'm working with, he's coming from Taiwan, so he just get out of the quarantine. Then there is this quarantine rule that if he come to Beijing, I'm not sure if he get locked again, so I have to come to Shanghai. So we're gonna do the rehearsal and uh, then uh, next week we go into Chengdu. And yeah, I mean, uh, luckily that, I mean, from last year in China, we already start touring. And uh, um, this year, everyone's coming out for any shows, for, for any artist, it's kind of sold out. I mean, it's, uh, it's I feel 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 great because I I haven't played with him for a long time because he's 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 been in Taiwan for a long time. And you released a record this year, Birdie Island as well. And and will this tour focus on live renditions of that record, or are you DJing? Or are you doing a mix of both? Uh, it's it's a live it's a live show, and uh, the way we do it because he's uh, he's doing this Unreal Engine. Uh, 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 video stuff and uh, a lot of it's it's not um, it's not like a, a we we we're gonna play all the uh, music from the record, but we're gonna uh, do this kind of a little thing kind of a, 
uh, it's, it's rather a, 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 a performance because I, I the, the thing I do is more like a like a body motion music and uh, uh, it's fun to see but I I, I think for, for me it's a, it's a little bit hard to describe what it is but it's uh, it's not all the birdie island music but it's very very much linked to the birdie island scene it's uh, the, the show is called wave 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 it's uh, the title of one of the song from the album and uh, what we are creating is more like a okay there's a wave there's a brine wave there's a sound wave there's light wave but it's all the form different form of energy and uh, i think that's the that's a show. Uh, that's what the show is about. It sounds so interesting, and I, I really wish I could catch this show. Hopefully, someday. Um, and tell us a little bit more about uh, the response. You you noted that since last year, every event is sold out, and had and obvi- for obvious reasons, the scene has become more local as well. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Uh, um, for me, I think. Um, because China, because the virus is uh, when the virus came, is it's it's a very uh, big thing. Then, but after a few months, it's kind of becoming calmed down, and uh, and uh, the foreign foreign artists not able to come, and uh, a lot of clubs facing a very uh, uh, big challenge. Um, but but for for me, I. Just, I I, I've seen a lot of uh, new artists coming coming out and uh, I'm playing around. But for me, I, I I live in the countryside, so I don't really really I really don't go out so much. So I can't I can't really tell who is the artist and what what kind of thing it is right now. It just for me, if uh, I'm doing I'm going out, I'm doing my show. Then I go back to my countryside and do my work. I just have the new studio. Then I basically just be like always been like locked down there and doing my thing so lockdown or not you're, you you uh you're in the country in the studio as much as possible yeah yeah exactly robert do you uh do you wish that you had spent the pandemic in taiwan um that's a good question um i would say i mean i was traveling a lot and um just kind of running ragged um touring from between 2016 until um, the start of the pandemic. And in the middle of touring, I ended up moving to Berlin and getting a um, freelance visa as an artist. But I never really got the opportunity to um, settle. So I think, I mean, part of me wishes I was, I was in Taiwan, but also I'm pretty satisfied with the fact that I've been able to get my bearings together here. Congratulations on your three-year visa, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> but but it was, uh, would you say that the experience that you had, because when I met you, you were living in San Francisco, part of the mighty Honey, Honey Sound System crew. Um, and then you went to Taiwan, you lived in Tainan, I think, leading up to the Organic Festival, correct? And, and, and you were really like working hard on music and a live show and some video stuff at the time as well, correct? And did you find that? Right. Was that like a really inspiring experience that kind of changed the course of your artistry? Yeah, I mean, when, when I moved to San Francisco, um, I sort of just got into this career track where I was working in advertising but parallel to that I was also building my um my musical um activities and so um by 2016 I had left the day job after about 13 years of working and so I think I just sort of got this um this flood of um bandwidth where I was able to just um work on things I love doing and um also um, was a very inspiring moment because I was um, investigating um, parts of myself that I had never really uh, focused on and also um, I think it really helped with the um, with the creative process there. What were some of the those parts that you hadn't explored previously 
that you focused on while making music and having this extra time to create in Taiwan? Well, I mean, one of the things was I, I moved to San Francisco and I came out of the closet and I never really got to um, understand myself as a queer individual. So that was one thing where I was just trying to make the connections and also um, um, trying to figure out who, you know, who is really in the same boat as me and who really... Um, understands what I'm going through, as well as finding those um, connections and common threads and interests. Um, so my journey for that time between 2016 to 2018 was focused on um, just um, finding people and just um, learning more about other people and about myself and this whole queer experience. On top of that, I wanted it to be have something to do with music because, you know, when I was first coming out into the scene, I was going to a lot of places by myself. Um, I really didn't find a lot of solidarity in some of the um, shows that I went to. So I kind of also wanted to take some of the stuff that I learned from working with Honey Sound System to... Um, what I could do in um, a place like Taiwan or um, or in Asia. Totally. And and this has also like come across with the launch of your three imprints, one of which is Piece of Work, which specifically focuses on queer and Asian identity, correct? Right. So, um, so I'd say like when you're growing up in the U.S., you've, you're sort of finding yourself... Um, later in your adult life trying to deprogram all the things that you sort of learn and habitualized. Um, so going to Taiwan was part of that process of um, deprogramming. Um, being there, I had a bevy of memories trigger from sights and sounds. Um, and um, a lot of these memories came from the few trips that I made when I was younger. But um, I guess, um, I think ha being exposed to all this different stimulus really helped me um, focus on what sort of um, ideas I want to create. And um, I did um, stay at my mother's childhood residence and set up a small studio there. And I was basically um, heads down in work mode, um, going outside, um, exploring um, Tainan, and then... Um, coming back to the apartment and just um, focusing more on uh, music. I mean, I all I know about my mother's childhood home is that she lived on a chicken farm in Kaohsiung. Like, I can't imagine, like, how <laughs> heavy it would be to visit that place and create there. Yeah, it was very intense because um, my the time I occupied her space, um, <laughs> I um, my grandma grandmother had passed away the year before so I just kept feeling like you know there was spirits around or something was like um, trying to get my attention so I was just constantly in this mode where I was just um, investigating and um, looking at all the old photo albums that were like strewn all around the um, the building I mean it's it's very clear that that time there has really spawned a creative renaissance the records are amazing you're putting out tons of work um and right yeah i ended up recording about over um five hours of music and obviously um that led to um a final completion of them at the beginning of 2019 and um i really had to figure out how i was going to release all this stuff because this was pretty much an exercise in portion control. So I had this idea to just sort of split the personas and then create different labels just so I can, um, so I can give myself bandwidth to, um, to explore themes and topics among the different, um, the different um, lines of thinking with the music that, um, that was built in that period. Thanks so much, Robert. Um, Angela, you also had your another person who grew up in the U.S. and 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 you also had like a 
somewhat transformative trip to Taiwan, correct? Yeah, definitely. I'm honestly really like tickled pink. There's so many Taiwanese connections in this one chat. It's pretty amazing because I'm so inspired by Taiwan. But yeah, I was working at Stone's Throw and then honestly, like I kind of just realized I needed something more important in my life after like my mom passed away and like I wanted to sort of get to know her through the country of Taiwan, honestly. And so I moved there without a plan except for the desire to get to know Lim Gong or Ling Chang, who is a Taiwanese composer that I was obsessed with, that my mom was translating my emails with him. And so I felt like to continue that story, I should just move there. And I mean, I was just so inspired by everything in Taiwan. And I love Tainan. Like, honestly, if I could do it again, I'd live in Tainan and like just eat the fruit there and just like chill out and like get away from it all. Because I really feel like there's something really special and beautiful about that place. But it's funny because I actually, when I was living in Taipei, was my grand grandfather was the first postmaster general of Taiwan. So the post office museum that I lived right next to was actually the the home that my family like grew up in. But it's funny because I was I'm obsessed with Taiwan and like my entire label that I focus on is on Taiwanese work, but. Um, it's like all my ancestors are actually Chinese and from Fuzhou. So I like went to Taiwan expecting to find all my Taiwanese roots. And I realized that it meant going to China to actually go to find like the ancestral tomb that has like the names of like 10 generations of the Lin family there. But I still feel like very adamant about the fact that I'm Taiwanese, even though the blood is in like the, like, you know, the proof is in the Chinese land, but I think that's part of the Taiwanese identity is confused. So I think it kind of adds to that sort of like, oh, am I Taiwanese, Chinese, American? I mean, it really wasn't until I was in Taiwan that I realized I'm extremely, extremely American as well. So yeah, I am very inspired by Taiwan for sure. And yeah, my time there was definitely just such a burst of creative energy. Yeah. So on the first on the first release on Pure Person Press, um, which was a, a Lim Gong piece remixed by current Taiwanese artists, including Alex Zhang Hung Tai, who's another Taiwanese American artist. Um, what are you doing there? Are you sort of like making a tie between various generations of Taiwanese experimental electronic artists? And, and what is the sort of goal of the label going forwards? in terms of showcasing the Taiwanese scene? Yeah, I, I was trying to play with the concept of time for this one, for a pure person, because I feel like in the movie that it's inspired by, Millennium Mambo, the director, Ho Xiaoshen, he plays around with the sense of time, the whole movie. You never know what's the past or the present or anything about it. And I feel like I was in a time in my life where that kind of felt similar to me. And so I, I really was determined to sort of express that through the album. And I felt like by using old and new, I could do that. So it was sort of like asking artists to reinterpret what they meant, what they thought a peer person meant to them in 2020. And also asking Lim Gong to reinterpret that song as an older man. Because when he, like Lim Gong is fucking awesome because he was sort of like the godfather of the electronic music scene in Taiwan. He was like a DJ. He really brought this, he was like, I mean, he was sort of like the poster child for rave stuff, even though he wasn't the only or the best DJ. But he was experimenting with electronic music at an early stage. But now he's extremely Buddhist and wants to make mostly ambient music and is very chilled out. And so, but he's still very experimental. And, and I feel like with this album, he kind of was able to show that with his song, which samples, um, you know, Taiwanese opera and like temple music, but also is a very kind of sad, sort of somber song. Um, and then all the other artists as well, like I used artists who were based in Taiwan and who were also Taiwanese American as well. And it was really cool to get their sort of take on that. And some of the tracks were more ambient, some of them were more jazz, but they were all using the feeling that a peer person is supposed to have. So it was more of like the feeling of each song that connected all of them together more so than any kind of specific technique or electronic 
kind of vibe. Like I wasn't going to, I wasn't out there making like, I'm going to make like a techno album or I'm going to make this genre. It was more like, I want to make this feeling of music because I feel like that's what Ling Chang really captures super well with his music and why it's been able to. And it was cruel because all these artists were stoked to be able to be on this project because they've all been inspired by him to create their own music. So it was sort of like him inspiring them and them being inspired by him to make a new album together. And then Lim Gong also releasing new music for the first time in a long time as well and kind of being put in a more youthful, kind of more modern light as well. So it's sort of like a mix of like the old becoming the new, the new becoming the old, and it's sort of all mixed together and and supposed to be a cohesive little project. So it, it's it's really interesting what you mentioned earlier, where it feels like Robert went to Taiwan and got some creative clarity and understood where he was coming more. And, and you were like, wow, I'm actually really American as well. Can you? Can you explain what you mean about the Taiwanese identity and the Taiwanese American identity specifically um, being quite confused? Yeah, I realized I was Taiwanese because everyone thought I was crazy for moving to Taiwan to chase Ling Chang. They thought it was like very arrogant and very American actually for me to do so. They were sort of like, what are you doing? Like also Taiwanese people, I love them because they're hella protective. Like, it's an island. Everyone's known each other for a long time. And they're both so friendly, but also so family oriented. And so when I came in here, like sort of blasting through the Taiwanese doors, like, hey, guys, I, I want to work with Ling Chang. And actually, I was managing this band called Sunset Roller Coaster at the time as well and helping them with their American crossover. So I kind of came in and was just like loud and talking a lot and had a lot of dreams. And I was told by a lot of people that it, um, they're like, you know what, like, we all live with Ling Chang, but we are too polite to ever approach him. But you are like an American and don't have this sense of like, I have so much respect for Ling Chang, but not in necessarily the same way of someone who grew, grew up there and feeling like you can't reach something. Because I think in America, they teach you, you can reach anything. And like, especially working with American artists, you're just like, oh, I'm just gonna reach out and just see what happens, right? And so I really feel like it took an American in some sense of that mentality to really be able to break through the Taiwanese thing because their music is so insulated inside that island. It takes like, I don't know, like a lot of determination to try to draw some of that outside of Taiwan. So yeah, I felt really American in the sense that my dreams were very American. I know that sounds super freaking cheesy, but like there's a bit of a truth in the fact that US enables you to be very selfish and dream oriented and less of, more about you and less about the collective, which is both a positive and a negative. And I realized it was American because I was living in Taiwan and I was managing Sunset Roller Coaster. We were in LA for a bunch of sessions that we had set up for like the next four months or so and COVID hit and everyone was able to go back to Taiwan but me because I'm not technically a Taiwanese citizen. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm extremely not Taiwanese because they won't even let me back in and I just had to reorient myself back in this like American lifestyle which is great. Like I love Los Angeles, but I wish it felt like a dream Taiwan because I never got to choose when it ended. I just sort of like woke up and I was like, all right, I live in America again, you know? So I think it makes sense that it ended like that. Honestly, that does sound very dreamy. And, and, and it's a, it's a testament to your personality and your big dreams that you've acclimated to LA so quickly. Yeah, LA is actually my home. I mean, like, there's, like, the weed, there's, like, the driving, there's the, like, chill, progressive attitudes. Like, ultimately, like, I'm American, but I dream in Taiwan. I, I think that's very much the case. And so I would like to go back to Taiwan and live there maybe, like, two, three months of the year would be ideal. The, like, cooler months, not during summer, because we all know that's really, really messed up, so. Um, you soothe. I just wanted to speak a bit about the records that you put out this year so far. First of all, you dropped your debut album, uh, Yellow River Blue. Um, it's a beautiful record. And um, you also put out a collaboration with our friend Griff, Francis Inferno Orchestra, called UFO. That, <laughs> one, that one's also sick. There's, but, uh, but I guess I wanted to speak about Yellow River Blue specifically um, because 
I think that most people who are fans of you know that you're from China, you're from Kaifeng, but they associated you with this Vancouver thing, like this kind of like mood hut, like 1080p drifty house ambient thing. And it seems like with Yellow River Blue, you're you're really just kind of reshaping that narrative a bit. Um specifically with founding a label or co-founding a label called Bia uh, that will focus primarily on Chinese artists. And can you can you speak a little bit about that journey and does that ring true to you? Mm, yeah. Oh, but first of all, I really want to say to um, Angela because um, knowing more stories behind that album, is it's so cool because... Lin Chan, obviously, I love that film. Hou Xiaoxian is my absolute favorite director. So when I heard about that record, I was like, this is crazy. And, you know, hearing his new music too. Um, so hopefully one day I can get to collaborate with him. That would be amazing. <laughs> I actually, like, no, no joke, I feel like I manifested this. Because I had you on a list for this new project I'm doing with him. And I was like, oh, I don't know if you'd want to do it. And then you showed up on this meeting and I was like, oh, maybe after the meeting I can like ask her and talk it's to you fit. about this project. I mean, I, it kind of feels like you're in fit. Just like, I feel like a lot of the things with this project, it feels like natural. Like, I think that's what's so great about working with other Asian artists is like, it all feels like you're in fit just because you're all passionate about the same thing, you know, so... Yeah, we'll definitely chat. Thanks. Yeah. I also um, love your music. Your new album is like thanks. amazing. So, um, to answer your question, um, well, I think well, prim primarily, when I first thought about putting out this record on my own instead of doing it, you know, in an easy way with the labels that I've already worked with, was because I. I was at the point where I felt it's too easy to put on the record. Like the system is too set up. All you do is you write the music and you work with the label and the label has, you know, all the PR set up. It's, you know, you know, you know where, where it's gonna um, get hurt. You know, who's gonna write about it, everything, all that. Uh, so I thought, how do I, like I want to actually maybe not not challenge myself, but more like I want to feel I want to I want to figure out how what what it means to put out the music, you know, on your own and to understand how the industry works. So that was the initial idea. But um but um you know, co starting a label and doing something brand new um that idea only came after when i went to china and spent a lot of time uh, in 2019 uh, that really made me realize oh well i'm 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 from here i'm not canadian i'm still not canadian like why you know like i don't have to like like i should do something more because I was also at the point where I was feeling like, oh, maybe I'm not doing enough for where I come from, for the music scene there, because, you know, what I got to see over the entire mainland China, all the music stuff, it was so mind blowing. So I thought, well, this is, this makes the most sense because I can kind of build this bridge and it just happened like that nothing complicated and and can you tell us can you tell us a bit about that tour like I, I i was reading in one interview you said that crowds even quite far from city mm -hmm. centers mm -hmm. were super up for it skewed very young and more female female identifying than in most other places Is that yeah correct? um that was actually the most uh, th the first thing i noticed in china was just they were way more women who 
were involved with, you know, running a club, running a club night, running a label, running a radio station, DJing, performing. Um, that was the first thing. And of course, because I went to a bunch of cities that were, you know, in my head. And also for some of my friends in China, even they were surprised that um, clubs, there were clubs and there were people who were interested in, you know, alternative electronic music in China, like especially uh, Xining. Because that's just like Xining is basically, it's Tibet. Um, and that was just a life changing experience and you spent new year's eve there yeah it was a new year's eve party it was like an absolute vodka sponsored event where downstairs it's like rap trap like skateboarder people and then we had this little room upstairs and i was just like oh no one's gonna you know obviously no one's gonna come up here because no one also know who i am um but then it was just, I don't know, magic happened and people came up and they were dancing to all these, you know, crazy kind of world inspired dance music that I'm interested in. And something that re that made me want to cry, like this one person came to me after the party and he said he came from Yunnan and he said that he thought he was hearing all this music f from his culture, from his tribe, which was so cool because I was playing, you know, it's, it's just, I think there's something about this sound connection within people who come from culture that it's so long, so ancient, like there's something that, everyone hears in the sound so yeah and and i mean like you you're saying that you think that in that instance it was related to identity and background and and this kind of collective consciousness idea mm -hmm. but it's also just so it's so universal that was the first time when i when it hit me so hard, I was like, wow, music is truly, truly universal. Like, it does not matter. There's no boundary at all. Does not matter where you come from, what music you're into, what you like. That's, that's so interesting. I, thank you for sharing the story. Um, Howie, you, you have also spent time in many places, correct? And, and you've ended up back in... Beijing. Yeah, I was in the UK for a little bit. I I lived in Taiwan for a while too. I lived in Taipei for two years, almost, almost two years. But I travel a lot. I come back to mainland a lot. But my wife is from Taiwan, so that's why. I heard that you were married to a Taiwanese woman. That's all I, I did hear that actually. I did. I, I met her. She, she was DJing too. She was DJing a, a a long time ago, and she came to Beijing to DJ. That's now. I mean, I, I didn't even know her at that time, but there was a bar called School Bar. They were DJing there and their CDJ was broken. So I carried a new CDJ to the school bar that I left the, the CDJ that I left, that I left. Then, then when I go to the UK, I was in London and, and my roommate, he is actually a big producer. He, he produced all the Higher Brothers songs. It's called Harry Kiri. And, uh, and he told me, oh, Vicky is living in London too. I was like, who is Vicky? And, and, and he told me, oh, you bring the CDJ for her. I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's, and, and she become my wife. It's very cute. Wow. It, was love, it was a love story that was predicated by a broken CDJ then? <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, it's fun, yeah. Taiwan was fun, it was a, a lot of good memories there. The best memories, yeah.
it's interesting. I was I was reading some interviews with you, Hallie, and I feel like if you weren't a musician, you'd be a writer, or filmmaker. It's it's just whatever whatever is the most like convenient and clear way to express yourself. That's true. Convenience, I think. Uh, convenient is very very. Uh, uh, I think that that's the key for me. I don't want to be like a lot of people. Be like, okay, they work hard. They have to do a lot of things. They carry this thing to a. Uh, so so uh, then 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 they are exhausted you know uh, you know and then be like okay I'm not gonna I gave up so so I I'm not I'm not trying too hard I I mean uh, I I don't have to do music uh, if if uh, someone be like if the government come to me and be like don't do music how we are okay I I will go and do something else that's you know more efficient you know <laughs> and just. Uh, uh, being comfortable, you know, and I, you, you, you are right. I, I've, I've been writing. I've been writing too. I've already written maybe like uh, uh, hundreds of words. I've, uh, I've done translating work too. I've translated this uh, uh, DJ book and uh, this uh, uh, electronic music book. It's like a three. What? Yeah, yeah. I've done it. I, it's, it's published in a real. It's, a, it's ten. It was ten years ago. It's, a, it's called oh. Dance Music One Hundred One, uh, and uh, it's a. I've translated some books, you know, and... Uh, well, I mean, uh, for the sake of the music world, I'm glad you're still making music, Howie. I'm glad that you haven't... I'm, I'm glad that nobody has forced you to stop yet. I I mean, in the, in the period of time after I released the first album on Alpha Pop, I did find uh, uh, that's the time that I find myself nowhere to go. I, f I feel like uh, I don't know what to do. And and from that time, I made some music video. Uh, I'm not sure if you have watched it. Uh, and I, I, I went into the CG world a little bit for maybe like one or two years. Then I gave up. I'd be like, I mean, my eye is not very good. I can't really <laughs> staring at the at the, uh, at the screen uh, so much. So, so I gave up. Then I, at that time, I feel like okay, maybe uh, my music. I don't know what to do with music. That's then, then after a while, I feel like uh, I, I feel, yeah, music is my thing. It it it, it is my thing. Yeah. Being in London, which is widely viewed as a center of electronic music, um, you know, that's a time when you're making club tracks. You're playing them out all the time. A lot of the industry is there. Um, you know, now you're back in Beijing, you're in the countryside, you're you're not going to the club as much, you're making music for a different setting that's broader. Um, what are, but you're currently touring and, and in China and there are all these amazing shows. You're, it seems like a time of creative growth for the various scenes that you play with. What are some of the challenges you, you face as a, musician based in Beijing, like who, who releases records on a global scale. Um, and why don't more people know about it? I think, I think that, uh, you, the, the challenge is already there because that's why I have to release my music on a global scale. Otherwise in China, I think there's a very limited people because they have their thing to do. I'm, I mean, I have, I have this very little imaginary world that I express it in, uh, uh, you know, in terms of music. Um, but in China, most of the people, they still have to face more severe problems than I do. I do have a very good background that my parents, you know, and uh, uh, can support me when I, when I was in a younger age and to, to go to school to study music and audio engineering. But most of the people in China, they still, you know, uh, uh, they have to face other problems. So, so, so I, I think uh, that's why I have to go abroad to study music and to see uh, what's happening over there for, you know, you know how to support yourself uh, doing music, releasing music, and have, you know, kind of have more people listen to your music. But I, I think at, at, at a point, I was very, uh, uh, very into uh, the, the thing to, you know, to marketing yourself as an artist, you know, I, I did. I did when, I, when I was in London, I, I learned a lot from all these rappers I hang out with, you know, 
they told me, "Hey, you gotta hustle, man. You gotta hustle." And <laughs> I did. I did learn how to. You know, I was. I'm a shy Chinese person, and I I I start to learn how to. You know,、uh, write an email to a people that I never met. You know, <laughs> then, then I did that. I did that in in a、uh, uh, in a period of time. Then I figure out after a while. I feel, I feel, I feel, I, I do feel exhausted after you know、uh, marketing yourself too much.、Uh, then, then、um, I think it was the show. It gave me a lot of uh, uh, impact when I、uh, when I was playing a boiler room show in、uh, in New York, and I feel.、Uh, Uh, maybe I I shouldn't do. I I was doing a lot of trap stuff, you know, kind of a, you know, kind of a, you know, and、uh, it, people love it. But it feels、uh, it felt like、uh, there is a lack of something that I didn't know at the time. I went to America. I feel like oh, I thought America would be great, you know, have a music good music scene. Everyone knows about music. But when I go there and see, I was like,、oh, okay, I I was playing with Migos. And by the way, and I was like, okay, I, I don't like this. Uh, I, I, I come back, I come back to my countryside house and listen to some, you know, ambient music. <laughs> yeah. So, so you feel like the music that you're. First of all, that's an incredible story. Like, like、uh, learning, you know. <laughs> To hustle in the UK, ending up in New York, playing with Migos, and being like, "No, I want to go back to the countryside. This is this is not for me." Like this is this is such a a great arc and such a unique arc. But I mean, would you say that with the Seven Weapon series and with Birdie Island, is this who you actually are? Oh, that, that's a good question. That, and、uh, for for me, I don't really believe in the the terms of self. I don't really be, believe there is a self. I, I think there is a self when you're looking at the mirror. But if there's no mirror, where is it? And、uh, there and people people do uh, um, kind of uh, do want to kind of uh, you know uh, uh, separate what's inside and what's outside. And、uh, I think it's only the skin. And、uh, who separate us? And 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 you know, I I I don't believe it. I don't believe there is.、Uh, I I think all the music I write is not. I'm in, in Chinese. There is this uh, word uh, uh, talking about this too. So the article you are writing is not what you are writing. It the God is writing, and you use you only using your hand. You are only uh, uh you know kind of kind of a.、Uh, I don't know if it makes sense, you know, but 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 it's it's for me. It's how lucky I am able to get this information from the God. Yeah, I mean, I I understand like the idea of divining, or if if people want to be like take a more atheistic approach, they're saying like this kind of idea of flow state where you're not like necessarily in control over what you're doing.、Um, But that's incredibly interesting, and I, I I don't have anything profound to say as a response, unfortunately. I think in a way you do have controls, you do have controls, but in a way you don't have controls too. There's a lot of things you can't really talk about, but you can only do. I, I think the problems for a lot of people they they complain about things is that they they talk and think too much. I don't really. Think I don't really think mind is very important, you know. I don't really think the 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 process of thinking about art, talking about art, is so important. You you you、sure. only need to go and、Thank、do you. it. You do it, you know. You don't do it, you don't know. <laughs> mhm.、Mm、it's the it's the Tao. Also, Howie, I just think it's really cool that like like Ling Chang is also like electronic experimental, but recently also just lives. In Taizong with his family, very quiet, and is now when I'm working on projects with him, he's like clean, calm, healing music. Because I feel like we're at this space right now where we have been like I was also like part of Eternal Dragons for a while, which was like very club oriented, and I got very tired of that sound because it's everyone telling you how to feel. And I think recently his music, and also hearing you talk, I was like, that's really kind of the similar state of how. 
like he is as well now, which is very much isolated, very detached from the music. He and also just in a space of just like much more spiritual, actually. Like it's empty, but it's a spiritual emptiness that is actually quite fulfilling, I think. So I, I really resonate deeply with like what you're saying and sort of the music that I kind of want to work on with Ling Chang as well. So that's it's really cool to hear you speak about that. True, true. I think in a way the music itself as the recording, people think the recording is music. Uh, the, the, uh, to me, it's absolutely bullshit because the, the music is uh, it's kind of a, a rhythm of life. So so you you know, you, you kind of know you, you you're running too quick, then you get tired. This is the dynamic of life. It's not about the recording. And uh, once you once you know about the Tao, then you know about the you know how you react with life and the nature. Then the music just come. You don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a hundred percent agree with that. I feel like it's supposed to be the most natural thing in the, in a sense and. I feel like it's easier to be natural in nature. Like I also had like the most nature-filled year because of COVID, and therefore I have to credit nature as part of like this extreme creative inspiration as well. Like I think those tie very closely together, actually. True, true. And it's interesting, like Yusu, with your record, you're you're you were sort of when Robert was speaking about these memories he had from his youth like going back and, and, and these memories that you form when you're six or 13 and just like seeing these things that bring back memories that you don't know that you have um, that are tied in with place and identity. Is, is, is that something that you relate to with the title of your record and the inspiration? Mm, I think in a way, because for for everyone, I'm sure for Robert as well, when you've relocated somewhere and then you experience a complete different world, despite, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've moved somewhere new, where you've lived, the way how memory works and how especially sound can triggers memories in many different ways. It's really interesting. Um, um, cause like, for, you know, cause for me, I've only lived outside of Kaifeng for the past six, seven years. Um, so it's not, so that part of the memory is not that distant yet. And I guess, I guess, you know, with the record, with naming it Yellow River Boo, my partner helped me name it. Cause <laughs> I was like, oh, you're, I'm not. My English is not good enough for coming up with a good title. But Yellow River Blue, it's when he when he suggests that to me, I was like, whoa, this is so perfect because you know because Yellow River Blue in Chinese, Huang He Lan sounds really it sounds nice. It sounds very poetic and it makes a lot of sense. This yellow con the, the yellow and blue con- contrast and stuff. Cause when when I tell someone, Oh, I'm from Kaifeng from Henan. Henan, people associate Henan with the Yellow River. And it's funny because I, for a while, I was really embarrassed about being from there because Henan doesn't have a good reputation in China. It, I, <laughs> how it knows? Um, it's getting way yeah. better. It's getting way better. I, I love people I from know. Henan. <laughs> but Henan, you know, it's like, and it's like in the middle of nowhere, somewhere that no one really cares about. It's poor. It's very, um, there's no, there's not so much modern culture. There's like, there's nothing cultural, culturally there now. It's the home of Chinese. Exactly. Like our home. Yeah, exactly. So Yellow River at the same time, like so much comes from there. Like all these, you know, um, old ancient tales like the person who who fixed the river the flood there are so many stories about that and that's something i think also for for chinese people we kind of forget too because we're like oh it's just you know it's it's not cool it's not a cool narrative 
it's never considered cool. But um, I, yeah, I think it's just important to talk about it so that now a lot of a lot of people in the West know about this city called Kaifeng. <laughs> but because before, um, a lot of people know about Kaifeng because of the Kaifeng Jewish people, the history of the Kaifeng Jews. But no one actually know anything else about it. So I so now I'm just happy that more people know about Kaifeng and all the food there. <laughs> Putting a Kaifeng on the map. Also check out Yusu's cooking Instagram. <laughs> KFC. <laughs> <laughs> they, they call it they call Kaifeng Chai, the, 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 the cuisine of Kaifeng KFC. KFC. <laughs> it's funny like something that you said there where where it was for for a bit of time being self-conscious about where you came from and then um coming back to it at a later time and being like I am so happy that I'm from here. I'm so thankful that I get to represent this. And I mean, I don't, I don't know any of the other Asian Americans experiences on this call, but like, for me, it was like, I was, I was just like so clearly aware that I was different growing up and kind of tried to obscure that in certain ways, obviously being half Asian, it's a bit easier for me, but like, I'm wondering but then at some point I was like, it's amazing that my mother's Taiwanese. I'm ashamed that I don't know Mandarin. Like, I'm so happy to have this background. And I mean, I mean, I guess like I'm wondering if Robert or Angela like relate to that at all. And, and that part of like coming back to something that you're interested in beyond being Asian music and then being like, no, this is absolutely something that I can explore my Asianness through as well. Does that yeah. does that resonate with you guys as well? Um, I mean, I think what we're sort of dealing with is just um, this repression of your background when you grow up in the U.S. Because um, there's a lot of moments where you feel like um, acting a certain way or eating eating certain foods you just kind of come out as like a sort of outlier to the culture and um when when you also don't have the right models to um lead the way for you especially if you're queer and asian it's very difficult to find what the right signifiers are so i think towards the end of my years in San Francisco, it was becoming a lot more open. We had, um, we've kind of, at least through Honey, um, changed a lot of minds about like who is responsible for the scene, who kind of um, makes these statements and who is able to um, show something different. Um, I think that's when it started getting a lot, becoming a lot easier for me to explore th that side. And then, um, and then I took my one trip to um, Shanghai to meet my friend um, Daniel, who runs um, Uptown Records. Um, he kind of showed me this whole different world, and it was just sort of I I just um, had this charge to just explore it even further. Just um, just the general idea of being Asian in this um, global um, um, society. Yeah. I grew up in North Carolina, which is extremely Southern and extremely white. So I literally just thought I was white for like a really long time. Like I, I didn't know any better. Like it wasn't until like you get a little bit older and people start bullying you that you're like, oh my God, like I guess I'm Asian, you know? And I honestly feel like I didn't really truly understand my Asian identity until I moved to Los Angeles and I met other Asians who were doing art. And then I realized that you could be Asian and do art and be a badass bitch. And it wasn't even like, oh, Asians do math and science. And then, you know, that's it, you know? And I, I was so inspired. I really had like a, an awakening in LA. Like I was so ignorant before and people, I like, you know, quote unquote, got woke in Los Angeles and had to have like foundations of like what it means to be Asian in America. And then I was fascinated. And I have to give Eternal Dragons a lot of credit for 
being able to connect me to so many other Asian artists who were doing club music at that time around the world. Even though, to be honest, I've never liked club music. Like, I'm, I like work at Light in the Attic. Like, we like vinyl reissues and, and things like that. Like, I love to dance so much and I love how it makes me feel. I love what club music can make me do, but I don't love club music. So Eternal Dragons was really like this great way though, however, to meet other Asians who were very much moving together. And I feel like that that's really important. And But like, it wasn't until I went to Taiwan that I was like, there needs to be another way to have my Asian identity expressed outside of just expressing my Asian identity. And And I feel like really that's the next stage. It's like, your first stage is like recognizing you're Asian. And the second stage is how do I express that in a way that isn't cheesy, you know, that is authentic to me. That isn't just me being like Asian in front of whatever music I make or whatever project I work on and call it a day. So I, I feel like my experience in Taiwan and honestly just my time being alive of what I think about just living my life is what I think about much like, of like how to express my Asian identity, I just don't ask that question anymore. You know, to be honest, I feel like that's how I've been the most honest about expressing and discovering myself is to not even think about it through that context. Although I think you need to have that moment where you're really excited about being Asian and you're really learning and you're doing the work and you're like getting really inspired. But I feel like I've been doing that for a while now. And now I'm at this place where it's like, I don't even want to ask how I'm making Asian music or music, whatever. Like, even though these conversations are important, it's more just like, I do what I want and I do what inspires me. And I really feel like what Howie was saying too, just like existing is really like the strongest form of expression sometimes. So yeah, I relate to this feeling of foreignness and I embrace it as at the same time, but now it's sort of like, Oh no, how do I how do I move past the foreignness because I no longer feel like that in my life as much. I mean, of course I'll always be foreign. I'm I'm not white, you know, but I don't know, especially after spending so much time with other Asian people and being more comfortable with my identity and it being less new to me, it doesn't seem to be as much as the forefront of my thoughts and inspiration as much, which I think is a good thing. Robert, in an interview with 48 Hills, you you spoke very eloquently about intersectionality, not only as it relates to uh, being queer in Asian, but you also said, um, you know, there is a double duty for Asian American Pacific Islanders and queers to defend and speak up when it comes to protecting black individuals. Um, our success against bigotry and violence depends on having this view. And I, I guess like, you know, being completely honest, I was encouraged to do something around uh, stop Asian hate. And, you know, I just think it's such a complex issue. And I was like, why don't we celebrate all the different experiences you can hear from this call? Like we're all coming from slightly different perspectives and, and relating on certain things. But I mean, I know this is a big question, Robert, but I'm, I guess I'm curious about like the opportunity for solidarity in terms of like marginalized people in general and rolling this thing into like a larger, broader picture. Well, um, my thoughts are there's a lot of work. Um, I think Asian activism in any form needs to be more vocal about anti-black violence. There needs to be an alignment. Um, I know a lot of people we know are, are they are aligned with these um, ideas, but in many parts, of course, I'd say apathy, non-activity within our connected spheres is what's really damaging the efforts. And this is kind of a circular, um, madness that I see constantly. Um, the U.S. in particular is built on the struggle of blacks. Any sort of progress for um, independence and civil rights stem from their bitter gains. Um, and what I've also noticed is that a lot of people wait until injustice is served and then community by community everyone takes turn decrying the insult. But at the end, 
of the day, um, the ones decrying are also enjoying a certain amount of comfort and distance. Um, I guess recently I was reading an article by um, Alexander Chi, um, queer, um, half Korean American. Um, he wrote an article for GQ about his father and growing up in a hostile anti-Asian environment. And there's a line in there somewhere where he says, there's a difference between fighting uh, racists and fighting racism. I sort of read that as if you're just making examples of isolated incidents, you don't really root out the core um, rot. Um, so as far as, um, yeah, so <laughs> that's where, do you have any other questions? <laughs> uh, no, again, you've spoken very eloquently, and I, I, I really appreciate you putting that in such a clear way. Um, yeah, I think that I wanted to, I think we've been on the line for about an hour at this point, and I, and I just wanted to just say one thing for people who are still tuned in. This is, this is a very, very small representation of Asian artists and Asian American artists. Like o only a handful of countries are represented in this conversation and there are 48 countries that we're speaking about. So uh, I don't think any of us uh, purport to speak for any broad coalition of Asian artists, rather like we're just kind of sharing our own experiences and hopefully you're enjoying it. Um, but Howie, I, I just kind of wanted to, I, I read a bunch of interviews leading into this, obviously, and you said, you said very something very interesting about your record, Seven Weapons, which was inspired by uh, Gulong's Seven Weapons and Seven Songs. Um, and I'm wondering if you can speak about that inspiration a bit, but you, you said something very interesting in this interview. You said, I always think that as a musician, you fight for justice and I use music as a weapon to sort of defend my values from the imaginary enemies. Can you, can you elaborate on what you were saying there? Well, I'm, uh, what I'm saying is um, um, that in a way we use music um, and, and uh, to solve real problems. Like uh, uh, whatever you're facing is a racism, your uh, your is poverty, or is uh, I I think in a way culture um, uh, in our society is uh, 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 is um, you know becoming too like a uh, consumerism in a way uh, becoming uh, everything becoming very uh, commentary. You know people do comment on the stuff, then they thought this is the creativity. But in a way, uh, I do think um, I, I, I use weapon as a you know, metaphor to uh, express how I see music when I'm doing it's a real life that, uh, that I'm facing. I think a, a lot of time I'm, I'm facing a, a big problem about major uh, labels, you know, kind of, uh, you know, they um, they give a lot of pressure to musicians or the, you know, the clubs or the venues and uh, uh, your environment. And uh, I, I, I think that's why I, I call it Seven Weapons. I, I, think, I think it's a way to uh, solve real problems, no matter you're using music or, you, or using whatever, uh, whatever you know, you know, uh, kind of a, a method you, you, you're using, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, Holly. And just want to thank everybody for participating in this chat. I feel like we could do a part two, but uh, I just really wanted to thank everybody for participating. Howie Lee, Robert Yang, AKA Bezier, AKA Body Zone, AKA, can you pronounce it for me, please, Robert? Uh, you could just say Robert. Okay. I mean, the, the, the name. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, I mean, Robert is about, you know, inverted time signature. It's a reversal of signifier. So translated backwards, it's tra traditional characters, but I'm not really making a statement about simplified or traditional Mandarin characters. Um, it's just a way of paying homage to um, 
you know my background in that world but also i am robert (laughs) (laughs) i love i love robert it sounds so cute (laughs) uh yusu thank you so much um really excited about bia records and uh congratulations on the lp um and Angela, thank you so much. So excited about Pure Person Press and excited to continue to follow along with your love letter to Taiwanese music. Um, thank you, everybody, for this broad and very interesting conversation. I don't, I don't think that there will be another RA panel like it before or after this. So I, I really appreciate everybody participating. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange with Yusu, Bezier, Angela Lin, Howie Lee and Matt McDermott. I'll have a new episode for you next week. Until then, our full archive is available for you to take in. And if you find something you love, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts as it helps get our stories to more ears.